This is a Crestview Bible Podcast. For more information, visit crestviewhutch.org. I don't know if you saw the 1996 film Jerry Maguire or not, but Jerry, played by Tom Cruise, writes a manifesto that's crucial to the movie's plot. Uh, This manifesto is Jerry's line in the sand about what is needed in the world of sports agents. And I know some of us would probably like to write some addendums to Jerry's memo uh, in this day and age we live in. Um, The director of the movie actually published what the manifesto was, and it's like a 32-page document, and it's uh, crazy. But uh, here's the conclusion of the document. And you think about this line in the sand, and, and this is kind of what he's writing to, so you can see how this would undoubtedly change be life-changing for some. A life is not worth living if you're sleepwalking through it because that is what feels like death. That is what causes athletes to, out of despair, get drunk and wrap their cars around a pole or lash out at someone they love. It's a feeling of sleepwalking, of others living life around you, keeping their fists tightly wound around whatever dollars they can muster, caring little more than nothing about those around you. We cannot sleepwalk. We cannot just survive, anything goes. We can take control of our lives, we can quit sleepwalking, we can say right now, these are our lives, it's time to start living it. It's time to not second guess, to move forward, to make mistakes if we have to, but to do it with greater good in mind. Let's start a revolution. Let's start a revolution that's not just about basketball shoes or officially licensed merchandise. I'm prepared to die for something, I'm prepared to live for our cause. The cause is caring about each other. The secret to this job is personal relationships. So that's what Jerry's gonna give his life for. Um, And yeah, it does mean sometimes that he screams out, show me the money. Um, It does mean that. Um, It makes all the difference for him. Now, we come to a passage today in Luke's gospel. We've been seeing how a life that's centered on Jesus, who's unique and even when answering challenges to who he is, He's revealing to us who he is, what he's about, what he came to do, and how that makes all the difference. We're compelling you that rather than this manifesto that Jerry Maguire wrote, that there's a way that Jesus is calling us to that's different. It's out of step with the world. The certainty that you have about Jesus is something you can build your life on. It's something you can reckon with, something you have to do something with. You can't just say, that Jesus did all this amazing stuff and say, well, that's good for Jesus. No, it it means that there's, if it's true, there's something that has to come out of your life. We're either leaning into it or we're leaning away from it. And I know many of you in this this room are leaning in. Um, You wanna go all in with Jesus. I even had a few conversations this past week where some of you wanted this so badly, I mean, through tears, that you would do whatever it took to have him, that you want him, that you wanna live for him, And I love that God is working this way in our hearts. And so today we get almost a manifesto of sorts from Jesus, from Jesus himself. So this isn't like me uh, conjuring up some idea of what I think Jesus is saying. Jesus is basically just laying it out there for us. He's drawing the line in the sand. He's saying like, here's what my followers are gonna look like. Uh, The passage that we're exploring is a sermon that Jesus gave called in Luke's gospel, the Sermon on the Plain. It has a lot of similarities to the Sermon on the Mount that's recorded in Luke's gospel. And Luke's version is fun because it's punchy. You know, it's, it's short. It's not like three chapters long. It's just kind of like half a chapter here. So verses 12 to 49, 
we get this sermon. And uh, while it's punchy, it also pulls no punches. So I would expect that every single one of us in the room today are gonna be like, if that's what a follower is, then uh, yikes, that's not me. So um, you may leave here thinking again, who does this guy think he is directing my life? And we gotta remember, it's Jesus, it's the Lord of all, it's the one who made you for himself. He's inviting you in to a better way to live. Um, and I, I think if really the reaction of your heart is, who does this guy think he is telling me to live this way? The problem isn't so much with Jesus, it's with our hearts. It's something that we have to consider. And so whenever Jesus lays his cards plainly on the table for us to see and shows us what he's up to, what's at stake in following him, it's for our good. And so this is good news really that's coming to us today from Jesus. We're, we're, we're getting clear. We're getting like crystal clear about what it means to follow him, what that looks like. And that's really good for us. Another part of today's passage um, in this manifesto of sorts relates to discipleship. Discipleship. We talk a lot in the church. Uh, it's a long word, discipleship. So what does that mean? Um, there's a lot of discussion that continues to be about what this means. One writer recently points out how the word disciple is better understood as an apprentice. And here's what he writes. To follow Jesus then meant to walk alongside him in a posture of listening, learning, observation, obedience, and imitation. For Jesus' first apprentices, the goal wasn't to pass a test to get a degree or receive a certificate to frame on their office walls. It was to master the art of living in God's good world by learning from Jesus how to make steady progress into the kingdom of God. It was less like learning chemistry and more like learning jujitsu. <laughs> so uh, that's helpful um, because there's, a there's different ways that we learn things. And when we're inviting you to be a follower of Jesus, we're inviting you into a way of life to apprentice under a master who lives in this world. And some of you in this room might think, haven't we already heard about this? So you might remember in 2022, at the end of 2022, we discussed what a disciple is and we did a sermon series called The Jesus Project. Um, you might see that logo in the building, The Jesus Project. And it's knowing Jesus and making him known. We, we, we defined a disciple as simply a follower seeking to know Jesus and make him known. We have plenty of, we talked about plenty of misconceptions about what a disciple is. Like they are more, like uh, we might think in our mind that who's a disciple? Well, a disciple is someone who is more dedicated, who's more committed, who's a serving Christian, or someone who's gone through a program or a training class, or they're a person who keeps others accountable to what they ought to be doing as Christians. And we said, in contrast, that it's best to think of a disciple as a student or an apprentice of Jesus, seeking to be like him. Uh, and a, an important distinction is a disciple isn't just someone who claims to be a Christian. A disciple is someone who backs that up by actually living. Um, there's action involved. Someone who does what Jesus does in action. So Jesus is our master who's purchased and redeemed us by his life, we're his. And therefore he gets to dictate the terms of how we live life. And so the question I think as we get into this manifesto, as we get into thinking about what it means to follow Jesus is, does Jesus affect your life? 
Now, of course he affects your life when you're in this room because you're like, oh yeah, you know, I love him. Yes, Jesus, me and Jesus go way back like a lot of Sundays ago. We're really good, you know. No, does he affect your life like when you're arguing about where you're gonna eat lunch today? Like my family's gonna have that argument in about 40 minutes. You know, um, where are we eating today? Well, I don't like that. Um, so does Jesus affect that kind of stuff? Does Jesus affect your afternoon? Does Jesus affect your Mondays? Does he affect the choices you're making in life? Or um, are you dictating your terms to him? You're saying like, here's how it's gonna be, Jesus. Like, I'm, gonna, I'm following you, but here's how you're gonna keep your end of the bargain if I do this and you're... So today, Jesus is gonna reorient all that and say, listen, let me just straighten all this up for you. <laughs> um, we're gonna go, and hopefully I think the result of our hearts is we're gonna wanna go all in with what Jesus says. So let's listen. Um, I have five points today, so five callings for followers of Jesus. And I wanna just read this all in one swoop. So uh, Luke 6, 12 to 49. So follow along with me as I read. And then when I get to the end, I'll say, this is God's word. And you can say, thanks be to God if you're led. I think it's a great response to hearing God's word. And so uh, beginning in verse 12, let's read this passage. Luke 6, 12 to 49. Follow along with me as I read. In these days, he went out to a mountain to pray and all night he continued in prayer to God. And when day came, he called his disciples and chose from them 12 whom he named apostles. Simon, who he named Peter, and Andrew his brother, and James and John, and Philip and Bartholomew, and Matthew and Thomas, and James the son of Alphaeus, and Simon who was called the Zealot, and Judas the son of James, and Judas Iscariot who became a traitor. And he came down with them and stood on a level place, that's the plain, with a great crowd of his disciples and a great multitude of people from all Judea and Jerusalem and the seacoast of Tyre and Sidon who came to hear him and to be healed of their diseases. And those who were troubled with unclean spirits were cured and all the crowds sought to touch him for power came out, of, came out from him and he healed them all. And he lifted his, uh, up his eyes on his disciples and said, blessed are you who are poor for yours is the kingdom of God. Blessed are you who are hungry now for you shall be satisfied. Blessed are you who weep now for you shall laugh. Blessed are you when people hate you and when they exclude you and revile you and spurn your name as evil on account of the son of man. Rejoice in that day and leap for joy for behold, your reward is great in heaven for so their fathers did to the prophets. But woe to you who are rich for you have received your consolation. Woe to you who are full now for you shall be hungry. Woe to you who laugh now for you shall mourn and weep. Woe to you when all people speak well of you for so their fathers did to the false prophets. But I say to you, love your enemies. Do good to those who hate you. Bless those who curse you. Pray for those who abuse you. To one who strikes you on the cheek, offer the other also. And from one who takes away your cloak, do not withhold your tunic either. Give to everyone who begs from you and from one who takes away your goods, do not demand them back. And as you wish for others to do to you, do so to them. If you love those who love you, what benefit is that to you? For even sinners love those who love them. And if you do good to those who do good to you, what benefit is that to you? For even sinners do the same. And if you lend to those with whom you expect to receive, what credit is that to you? Even sinners lend to sinners to get back the same amount. 
but love your enemies and do good and lend, expecting nothing in return. And your reward will be great and you'll be sons of the Most High for he is kind to the ungrateful and the evil, um, for he's kind to the ungrateful and the evil. Be merciful even as your father is merciful. Judge not and you will not be judged. Condemn not and you will not be condemned. Forgive and you will be forgiven. Give and it will be given to you. Good measure, pressed down, shaken together, running over will be put into your lap. For with the measure you use, it will be measured back to you. He also told them a parable. Can a blind man lead a blind man? Will they not both fall into a pit? A disciple is not above his teacher, but everyone who is, everyone when he is fully trained will be like his teacher. Why do you see the speck that is in your brother's eye, but do not notice the log that is in your own eye? How can you say to your brother, brother, let me take that speck out of, that is in your eye, when you yourself do not see the log that is in your own eye, you hypocrite? First take the log out of your own eye, and then you will see clearly to take the speck that is in your brother's eye. For no good tree bears bad fruit, nor again does a bad tree bear good fruit. For each tree is known by its own fruit. For figs are not gathered from thorn bushes, nor are grapes picked from a bramble bush. The good person out of the good treasure of his heart produces good, and the evil person out of the evil treasure produces evil. For out of the abundance of the heart his mouth speaks. Why do you call me Lord, Lord, and do not and not do what I tell you. Everyone who comes to me and hears my words and does them, I will show you what he is like. He's like a man building a house who dug deep and laid the foundation on the rock. And when a flood arose, the stream broke against the house and could not shake it because it had been well built. But the one who hears and does not do them is like a man who built a house on the ground without a foundation. When the stream broke against it immediately, it fell and the ruin of that house was great. This is God's word, thanks be to God. So five callings for followers of Jesus. Five callings. So I've tried to summarize this into five uh, callings, five callings. And the first calling is dependent prayer. Dependent prayer. So we see that in those opening verses, verses 12 through 19. So throughout the Gospel of Luke so far, we've seen Jesus and uh, given to prayer. So return to prayer over and over again. It distinguished his priorities from the crowd's priorities. So remember that in earlier chapters, like the crowds are wanting him to do all this healing and Jesus retreats to pray. After a busy day of ministry, he went to prayer to commune with his father. And now after lots of engagement with challenging questions with religious leaders, that's what we looked at last week, he returns to prayer and continues all night in dependent prayer. Um, he returns to prayer, leaning on his father for communion and life. I mean, I don't know if that's what you do when difficulties come your way, um, like when you face all kinds of stress and people are questioning everything about you, does your heart retreat to prayer? That's what Jesus is modeling for us here. And he calls followers out of the season of prayer. And it even includes an ominous ending there of Judas Iscariot who became a traitor. So some of us think that sometimes prayer uh, puts us, so like for Jesus, prayer didn't mean everything would be squeaky clean and easy for him just because he prayed about it. I think we have that idea, well, I prayed about it, so, oh, there's some sort of difficulty here, I must not have prayed enough or my prayers weren't right. That's not how Jesus operated. Jesus prayer, prayed and his life wasn't squeaky clean and easy. Part of prayer led him to call this guy who's gonna be a traitor against him. And he knew that. <laughs> like he, we know that. I mean, it's even recorded for us right here. 
Um, we shouldn't expect prayer, prayer is gonna mean that for us, but it is a way into, to lean into all that God's directing us to do. Prayer gave Jesus clarity about followers and it spurred him into more ministry. So right from there, in verse 17, he came to this level place. Many people are coming from all over to hear him and to be healed. Those troubled with unclean spirits were cured. Everyone's pressing in on him and what stabilized him in that moment was dependent prayer. It was vital for him and it's vital for us apprenticing under Jesus. We're not praying to earn God's favor. We're not praying to toggle a box in our favor. We're not, we're not praying to earn impressiveness. That's not what prayer is about. We lean into dependent prayer so we can have more of Jesus, so that we can have more of him, so we can commune with him, and so that we can tr be transparent with all that's going on in our life in all that he is. We're, we're laying all this before him. So Jesus models this, and as his followers, we're invited into this way of life as well. Um, the calling of a follower of Jesus is dependent prayer. Secondly, another calling for followers of Jesus is costly living, costly living. Look at verses 20 to 26. So here Jesus actually gets into the sermon itself. And there's a lot of costly living at play. You can readily see that there's a contrast because there's a blessing to poor and there's a woe to the rich. There's a blessing to the hungry and there's a woe to those who are full. There's a blessing to those who weep and there's a woe to those who laugh. There's a contrast when people hate, exclude, revile, and spurn you on account of Jesus with those who speak well of you. And the contrast is that there's a blessing and a woe. Um, a statement of, uh, a woe is a statement of judgment from Jesus. So he's not commending this as a way. He's saying uh, there's a blessed way. There's a, a happy way. I know it's translated happy. I don't, I don't think that gets that. It's maybe using the language of the day and age. There's a, there's a way that leads to flourishing and it's careful to live for him in the here and now. So those who might not have wealth in the, in the here and now because of Christ, that's what's in view here. There are some people who are intentionally choosing to not have the world's goods because following Christ demands that from them. And Jesus is assuring them, hey, you're giving this up I'm gonna satisfy you eternally. I'm gonna be there for you. I'm gonna give you my kingdom eternally. Riches are someday gonna be yours. Like not riches where we can just be like, yeah, people, yeah. No, it's gonna be riches like he's got us eternally. So um, he's not just saying all poor people get this eternally. He's saying those who are giving this up for the sake of him are getting this. And uh, there's people that live that way. There's people that live that way in parts of the world. And even in America, there are some who are hungry now in following Christ that are promised satisfaction. So again, the hunger is not like um, just, oh, the hungry are gonna be fed someday. It's not like some social thing. It's those, there's some who are choosing to like live destitute almost that have the needs of hunger in following Christ. Um, maybe they've been thrown in jail. Like this is, I'm trying to think of the reality in, in our day and age today. Like people thrown in jail and mistreated because they're following Christ. And Jesus is saying, I'm gonna satisfy your hunger. I'm gonna take care of you eternally. 
I got you. There are those who are weeping now, who are promised relief. And again, God comforts all kinds of weeping people. I think this context is talking about those who are following him. There are people who are weeping now, following him, and it's difficult. Some who are giving up relationships with family, some who are giving up cultures, uh, giving up a life that they've known and following Christ. And Jesus is saying like, I'm worth it. I'm gonna wipe those tears away. Um, when, when you're baptized in a, in a Muslim context in the day and age we live in, your family's ostracizing you. They're not gonna have anything to do with you. And there's a cost there. Like in our day and age, it's in America, we have freedom of religion so we can practice this. But you can imagine what kind of comfort this would be for someone who's weeping, going through suffering for the name of Christ. Weeping. And Jesus is saying, you're gonna laugh someday. <laughs> like I got this. And then he brings it all into context. Blessed are you when people hate you, exclude you, revile you, spurn your name as evil on account of the Son of Man. Rejoice in that day and leap for joy, for behold, your reward is great in heaven, for so their fathers did to the prophets. I mean, just incredible. Uh, there are gonna be those hated, excluded, reviled, scorned as evil because of Jesus. Because of Jesus. We're invited to rejoice and leap for joy because there's a great reward in heaven for us. Now, in light of last week's sermon, I think there's a good clarification to give. It'd probably be wise to see Jesus isn't encouraging us to be intentionally divisive on some secondary issue. So he's not saying like, um, well, some of us like have razor sharp opinions on matters that are not Jesus. Like we have razor sharp opinions about educating our children, or we have razor sharp opinions about, um, well, four years ago it was masks or whatever. We have razor sharp opinions of those. Those are not Jesus. I don't know if you know this, but a mask is not the same thing as Jesus, okay? It's not the same thing. So some of us have razor sharp opinions on those matters, they're not Jesus. And experiencing the resistance of the world and being invited to joy isn't for the things that we think are essential. The, the edge of the world comes as we center life on Jesus above everything else. It's a Jesus thing. So the prophets weren't hated just because they were obstinate people. So Jesus, that's where Jesus takes the argument, right? In verse uh, 27, or 20, 23, sorry. Uh, for so their fathers did to the prophets. The prophets weren't hated just for being obstinate. They weren't hated just because like, these are guys that are, ah, they're just gnarly guys. They were hated because they were speaking for God and they lived costly lives. You know, most of the prophets weren't just dispensing money and like living all the high life. Uh, they, they were like, um, when John the Baptist is compared to somebody, like he's living uh, in the wilderness and he has like camel's hair, he eats locusts and wild honey. What's he compared to? A prophet like Elijah. We haven't seen anybody wearing camel's hair in a long time. It was like that prophet. So the prophets were living lives that were costly because they were following Jesus. And that's why they were hated. They weren't just hated. Um, so um, like another example, Jesus isn't saying something like, you're gonna be hated by the Roman empire for keeping the Sabbath. 
like he told us last week, all this keeping the Sabbath stuff wasn't the point. He's the Lord of the Sabbath. Like the, he's not saying the Roman Empire is gonna hate you because you're trying to practice some weird aspect of religion. That's not what he's saying in this context. He's dealing with that. Following Christ, he's saying, is, means you're gonna have a costly living. The world's gonna hate you. So I think we think like, well, you know, maybe I see the world more conservative than other people, therefore the world's gonna hate me. And Jesus is saying, I need to rejoice and be glad. Not necessarily, not necessarily. You gotta be real careful that Jesus isn't just rallying flags for politics. He's not saying like, hey, if you're on the right side of history, you get the flags because everybody is on the right side of history. Just ask him. Um, no, he's saying it's the people who are following me, who are following me, who are the people who are hated by the world. People who are following me. So, um, it's gonna be a costly living. A costly living. Most of us love verse 22, but we don't like the verses before that. So we like being known as the people that are hated, excluded, reviled, and spurned because then we can like pop a suspender and say, see, the world hates me because I'm just so holy. But we're not living poor. We're not living hungry. We're not weeping because the world's up in our grill. It's costly living that Jesus is inviting us to as his followers. So that's the second calling. And you might say, well, I just need some clarity. What does this look like, costly living? I don't know what that looks like. Great, let's keep reading. Uh, verse 27, if you need some examples of costly living, Jesus wants to help you. And he continues in verses 27 to 36, showing us that we're called to a radical mercy. We're called to a radical mercy. Um, if you define mercy, mercy is giving those around us what they don't deserve. It's practicing goodness to people who don't deserve it. That is mercy. And in these verses, Jesus invites us to dispense radical mercy to all kinds of people. We love enemies. We love enemies. We do good to the haters, to the people that hate us. We do good to them. Um, we bless those who are cursing us. We pray for people who are abusing us. If someone strikes our cheek, we offer them the other one. Someone who steals our cloak is offered our tunic. We're giving and we're having a loose hold on all of our stuff. You're just, oh, you need this? Well, just take it. Um, the golden rule comes in this context. As you wish that others would do to you, you do to them. So now the costly living kind of has a home, doesn't it? Because most of our gut opinion, when we think we're right on an issue, is not to treat people that way. We don't show them love. We don't do good to those that hate us. We don't bless those who are cursing us. We don't pray for them. Uh, someone strikes our cheek, we're not offering them another. We're saying, you know, Jesus doesn't want us to be foolish. Use common sense. You know, I've prayed about this. I have a peace. And so therefore, Jesus isn't wanting me to enter into this. And yet Jesus is saying in this passage, it's exactly what I'm wanting you to enter into if you're gonna be my follower. 
It's gonna be a costly living is gonna get you into positions where you're gonna have to show radical mercy. And um, it's challenging. Most of us just choose to not be around those people, right? We choose to not hang out with our enemies. People that don't do good to us, hey, I ain't got no time for that. You know, we just turn the other way. You know, we just are moving the other direction. We're not gonna bother ourselves with them. That person did me wrong. I'm not gonna hang out with them. Look at how they treated me. Look at what they said to me. I'm not gonna bless them. I'm not gonna be kind to them. And Jesus is saying, man, it's not the case for my followers. You can follow some other religion and do that. Even sinners do that kind of thing. Are you trying to be impressive? No, my followers are completely different. Um, Ralph Davis sums it up real nicely, getting into verses 32 to 34. He says, do you mean to say that we are to let folks who hate us walk all over us? So that's what some of you are thinking. And in verses 32 to 34, Jesus essentially says, I'm not calling you to a conventional ethic, but to an exceptional ethic. What's so great about treating someone well who's treated you well? Every pagan Tom, Dick, Harry, and Harriet does that. It's the good old boy system, and there's nothing different, nothing distinctive about it. But blessing those who curse you, praying for those who abuse you, that's not more of the same old thing. That's surprising and uncommon. The world looks at that and goes, I don't have a category for you. Uh, you're supposed to be angry at me. You're doing good. You're not supposed to be showing me mercy. I hate you. And we step into those spaces and say, that's right, it's not about you, it's not about me, it's about my master. It's Christ, I'm showing you him. I mean, are any of you living in a way that's making the world scratch their head and go, I don't understand this person. That's why, when, that, that informs what I was saying earlier, right? When we drill into a secondary issue, we're just acting like every other sinner does in the world. We found the issues that we care about and we're just going after them. But when we, we dig into this radical mercy, this costly living that Jesus is calling us to, man, I'm gonna be inconvenienced. And the only thing that's gonna make it inconvenient is I'm following Christ. That's the only reason I would step into this. So we're invited into this life of radical mercy, loving enemies, doing good, lending, expecting nothing in return, knowing God has our back. He will reward us as his children because it's his character. That's how the passage ends. Look at that. In verse 36, be merciful. Why, are we, why should we act this way? Because that's how our father acts every day. God in heaven every day is looking at people who don't deserve anything good from him and he's treating them kindly. If we're following him, this is gonna be how we live. These people don't deserve, you don't understand what this person did to me, they don't deserve it. I, do, I completely understand they don't deserve it. But is your eye on that? Is your eye on you or is your eye on Christ? Jesus is kind to those who are ungrateful and evil. And his very character is mercy. So he steps into this. And Jesus isn't done. So, I mean, 
So costly living, radical mercy, and we're still thinking like, yeah, so what does that look like in my life? Okay, well, let's go into verses 37 to 45. There's a calling that his followers will practice fruitful introspection, introspection, introspection. So I-N-T-R-S-P-E-C-T-I-O-N, introspection. Um, Look at verse 37, judge not and you will not be judged. Condemn not and you will not be condemned. Um, None of us judge or condemn. So these don't apply to us, right? Excuse me. I'm so glad to be in a congregation where nobody judges or condemns one another. Never happens. No, of course I'm being sarcastic. Um, We do this, we step into this. We should give careful attention to ourselves. We should give careful attention to ourselves. How we judge, how we condemn, how we forgive, how we give. Because the measure that we're using to judge others is the same measure that God's gonna judge us by. So we have to be careful. It's gonna be used on us. And to make matters worse, Jesus doesn't say it's actually better than that. No, he says, you know, blind people can't lead blind people. You're both gonna fall into a pit. Like Jesus has that much confidence in us, right? (laughs) That A, uh, you don't judge, you don't condemn others, you forgive, you okay, really? Like, uh, have you ever walked with a blind person being blind? You're gonna fall into a pit. It's not gonna go well for you. You can't observe specks in someone else's eye and miss what's plain to everyone in our lives. We can't do that. You can't say like, hey, you got like an eyelash hanging down when like there's a tree limb in front of our eyes. Um, My cousin Vinny illustrated this perfectly. Uh, It's a rated R movie, so be careful. Um, Lots of language and bad stuff, but uh, they're in court, they're having this proceeding and he's interviewing this guy and he goes, so you positively identified the defendants. And the guy goes, yeah, that's right. He goes, so what are these three big things that are between your house and the convenience store where the murder took place? Trees, that's right, right. What are these thousands of things that are on the trees? They're like leafy. And the guy goes, leaves? Yeah, that's right. So leaves. And then what are these... uh, bushy things in your yard, bushes, you know, and what is this stuff that's on your screen? Rust? Yeah, that's right, you know, just keep yelling it out, you know, and um, what's this cloudy stuff on your windows? Uh, Dirt? Right, so are you telling me that you positively identified these two guys looking through this screen and through this window through all these trees and all these bushes, are you sure you could positively identify them? Well, maybe I'm not so sure. Um, the blind can't lead the blind. You know, we have to take care. We can't observe specks in someone else's eyes and miss what's plain to us. And you might say, that's not really that bad. I'm, I'm pretty good and honest with myself. And Jesus almost doubles down and says, you hypocrite. <laughs> like, and you might say, well, he's, he's saying that to other people, not to me. He's actually saying it to all of his followers. You hypocrite, take the log out of your own eye and then you will see clearly to take the speck out of another's. Um, unfortunately, we do not wanna admit our part of the mess. We hide behind good intentions. We explain away our behavior with things like, well, that's not what I meant. 
you're misinterpreting that. Um, I'm misunderstood. And we're not willing to admit, no, I said something that was not helpful. We're not willing to take the speck out of our own eyes. We, we would rather make a big charade and big production out of this thing that's going on in someone else's life and ignore the log that's going on in our own eye. And Jesus is saying, you're a hypocrite. Stop it. My followers don't live this way. My followers are characterized by fruitful introspection. So let's not be hypocrites. Let's look within first. You know what? Unless you are Jesus Christ himself, there is something that you could admit to because you're not perfect. Only he is. That's why you need a savior. So for you to come to an issue and be like, um, I'm completely absolved, I was perfect on this issue. It's always the case when I'm arguing with Meg that I can confess something because I was part of the argument. I was the one being stupid and so was she. But it begins with me saying, listen, I wasn't speaking to you well. I wasn't speaking to you in a loving way. I was trying to win the argument. I overstated things. It wasn't helpful. It didn't show love for you. I can always admit that. So I'm just giving you pro hacks from your savior. Admit you're part of the mess. You have a part of it. You're a sinner. Quit stepping into this like, well, it's all my wife's fault or it's all his fault or it's all their fault. It's your fault too. <laughs> Last I checked, you didn't go to the cross for anyone's sins because of your perfections, okay? So let's just admit that. Jesus is saying, that's how my followers live. And lest you think, man, this isn't what Jesus meant. Well, look at verses 43 to 55, or 45. That's exactly what he says. He doubles down. There's even more. We should look at our lives because we want them to produce a certain kind of fruit. And you might say, well, 43 doesn't relate to that. No, the first word of verse 43 is the word for. He's giving an explanation. Let me tell you exactly what I mean. This is explaining. Good fruit doesn't come from bad trees. And bad trees, or bad fruit doesn't come from good trees. Figs aren't gathered from thorn bushes, nor grapes picked from a bramble bush. The good person out of the good treasure of his heart produces good, and the evil person out of the evil treasure of his heart produces evil. For out of the abundance of the heart, his mouth speaks. So what we say is really revealing what's in our hearts. And this should really humble us. It should help us see that I didn't mean to say that is not a valid excuse. You meant to say exactly what you said because it was in your heart. And that ought to humble us because we should want as his followers to produce good fruit. It's a fruitful introspection that we're after. We're looking to examine all the junk in our lives and just admitting it so that we can produce good fruit on the tree that Jesus has changed. We're looking to him. So that's all the more reason to own up to our imperfect communication and be quick to admit when we need help. Followers of Jesus are called to fruitful introspection. Well, this leads to the end of the sermon in verses 46 through 49. Um, Jesus calls us to make a firm decision. 
He calls us to make a firm decision. So the calling from Jesus is meant to be lived in action. So he's not wanting us to walk away from this sermon and go, you know, there's a lot of good ideas that I need to think about someday. He's wanting us to walk into this sermon and in light of this sermon that he's preached and say, um, I have to live differently. This is a call to action. We can't call him Lord and ignore what he wants us to do. Jesus compares our trying to live this to a man building a house. One house is built on a foundation, the flood rose and the stream broke and it didn't shake because it was well built. Another house, the person isn't building on a foundation of Jesus immediately falls when the stream rises, it experiences great ruin. So which way is your life being lived? Now I'm not saying which way do you aspire to live your life? Just look at your life right now. How is your life being lived? Jesus isn't saying that aspiration is the most important goal here. He says that the foundation and the actual living are what matters. So what are you drilling into? What's the foundation for your living? Is it Jesus? is the foundation of your life, Jesus. That you look to him, and as a result of looking to him, you live differently. I mean, you can drill into religious practice, you can drill into selfish things, and you can craft all kinds of ways to live, um, but the ruin's gonna be great because you've played a big deception your entire life. Your life is heading to ruin. Make a firm decision today and build your life on Jesus. Center your life on him. So in conclusion, we've seen five callings for followers of Jesus. We've seen dependent prayer, costly living, radical mercy, fruitful introspection, and firm decision. So this sermon's really inviting you to a life that's centered on Jesus. So please don't hear me say in this sermon that Jesus is calling you to life and so you better get busy doing these good things that Jesus is inviting you into. Um, it's not about you burning your wheels and getting into the, all that. Jesus is the change, agent, the change agent. You can only step into these ways of living because of faith in him. So today, will you turn from all the other ways you could possibly live and go all in with Jesus? Center your foundation on him. Say, I'm apprenticing under that guy. I'm going all, he's calling the shots. He's my Lord. I'm trusting him. Wherever he says, I'm going. Whatever he invites me to do, I'm doing. He's the Lord. I'm following him. Believe in the Lord Jesus Christ and know his salvation today. And if you're a believer, um, you probably feel pretty beat up after the way I've presented this sermon. And I did that intentionally. Um, because you're probably walking out of here with a lot of guilt thinking, man, I've blown it. There's so much that I need to live. Um, and so it's humbling to admit that. Um, I think the reason guilt and those things creep in is because we hear Jesus say something like this and we're looking at ourselves. We're looking at all that we shoulda, coulda, woulda. Man, I shoulda done that. I coulda done that. Had the circumstances been right, I would have done that. And I just wanna end this sermon by reminding you that how you live this sermon is found entirely in Jesus himself. 
in Galatians 2.20, it says that your old self has been crucified with Jesus and your old self no longer lives, right? You no longer live, but the life that you live right now in the body, you live by faith in the Son of God who loved you and gave himself for you. You are in Christ and therefore he's the one living through you. Because you're in Christ, you can step into dependent prayer, just like he did. In the garden, um, Jesus prayed, Father, um, not my will, but yours be done. He's leaning into dependent prayer. And you can do that because you are in Christ. So in my life, I need all kinds of discipline. I need all kinds of reminders to unite my heart to Christ so that I practice prayer. It's just struggle. I, in my planner every day, the first thing I write is pray, exclamation point, so that I remember not to pray. I have an alert that pops up on my phone. When I get out of bed, it says pray. Um, so that I, so that, and the point is not get busy. The point is Christ is calling. Like my heart's united to Christ. I want to pray. I want to pray. So use tools if you need to and realize that God's spirit is crying out for this. It's crying out for more of Christ. Uh, costly living will be the aim. Again, being in Christ frees us to give up whatever we could build our life on in this world for better lives. It frees us from the temptation to have more. It frees us from the temptation to avoid suffering at whatever cost. It frees us just to boldly follow Jesus because we're in Christ. Did Christ's living cost him anything? Yeah, it cost him a lot. And so when you're in those moments where you're thinking, I don't know that I can do this, you can't. So look to Christ, look to Christ. Find, find him to be sustaining. Being in Christ frees you. It frees you to spread radical mercy to people because that's the Father's heart. I think Jesus is dispensing this radical mercy as he lives on earth because it's the character of God to show radical mercy to people. And so when you find that your radical mercy um, waves aren't tripping this, the way they should, you can just look to Jesus and, Jesus, give me your heart. I need more of you. I wanna follow you. I wanna apprentice under you. Show me what it means to show mercy. Help me to step into this. I need you. You have to do this. We're apprenticing under him. We can fruitfully inspect our lives uh, like just like Jesus, you know, not my will but yours be done. We don't have to marshal a defense for ourselves. That's what happens a lot of times in disagreements. Um, and I'm not saying that any of us have mastered this. I find myself laying in bed and thinking of all the things I could have said or done that would have made the argument go in my favor. And what I'm not wanting to do is just look to Jesus and fruitfully inspect my behavior. But I can do that because of him. I'm freed. My, this isn't gonna drive me further from Jesus. He's, he's got a heart that's ready to hear me. He's got a heart that's inviting me in so that my, the tree that he's built here can, the tree that he's planting can bear good fruit. So he's calling me into that. I can step into that in him. I'm freed to live in him. Freed to live this life that God has promised and uh, he'll reward us. We can admit our need and bear fruit. And we can go all in because Jesus is the foundation that 
will sustain us no matter what we face in life. Jesus is the foundation. So we're freed to live life in him. Um, holding on to him like there's nothing we can't step into. If we believe that the crown jewel of heaven is Jesus Christ our Lord, then let's build our lives on him that we could know the reward of heaven itself. We could know him. Like if we really believe that all of history is building to a day where he's gonna be Lord of all forever and eternity is gonna be worshiping him and we're gonna be with him forever, why would we not want that now? So let's go all in. Let's say, Jesus, you're gonna be the foundation for my life here and forevermore. So I'm going all in with you, whatever you call, whatever you need, I'm building my life on you. So this is a, an amazing call in this passage for followers of Jesus. Let's press in as followers. Let's apprentice under him, to know him, that we could make him known to others and that we might, and glorify, we might glorify and enjoy him forever.